This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Michaeline DeJoria, CEO of John Paul Mitchell Systems, and to me, it's a matter of people. businesses built from humble beginnings to billion-dollar brands, independent of outside capital, are the very fabric of the American dream. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Very often the story ends with a massive exit, but sometimes, and it's very rare, these brands are quite simply not for sale. The vision of the founder is bigger than the financial windfall. It's about creating a business that reaches far beyond them, creating a legacy that continues the work in perpetuity. Leaders like this think big, and they think beyond the bottom line, to the impact the company makes to an industry, a community, and to the team that keeps the dream alive. Where they lead, others follow, because they believe in the vision too. So, Michaeline, thank you so much for joining us today. And congratulations on your new role as CEO. That's super exciting. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about our coffee talk today. I know, right? If only it could be sort of in person, that would make it better, but we'll make do. This is close. Yeah. (laughs) So I've been dying to ask this question. Your father is sort of this iconic entrepreneur sort of legend. You know, he's achieved wild success and the story is sort of comes from quite humble roots and honestly is sort of like he is the American dream totally. and s- just <laughs> such an inspiration mm-hmm. so I'm super curious what was your childhood like growing up with such a charismatic passionate and kind of prolific entrepreneur it's a great question it's so different from all the other kids I mean no I'm one sure. had a dad like my dad <laughs> even putting like career and successes aside, even putting his incredible life story and background aside, just his dynamic, positive, optimistic personality. I mean, anyone who's ever met him will tell you he is just the most infectiously joyful person. And it was very different having a parent like that who just wanted to have fun and wanted to play and wanted to go see the world and have cool conversations and hear different people and learn about things. It was great. We really saw the world as an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to share and help lift each other up. And we were just raised that way. I took my first flight at a week old. You know, he's, wow. he hits the ground running. And so I was kind of just born into that. It was awesome. I come from sort of a very different background. My parents are not entrepreneurs at all. You know, when I when I went to start my first business, I guess it was like in 2000 and was leaving a company that had been acquired. They're like, but it was just acquired by a big business. And I was like, yes. And, you know, I could work for the telephone company, too, but that's not going to happen. So (laughs) sort of very different backgrounds. Yes. Not many people have the background I've had. It is true. But I think what's really cool about it is the background that I had was also so different from other kids with entrepreneurial parents because it wasn't, again, about business. It wasn't about things. It wasn't about stuff. We were never about that stuff. It was about people and it was about connections and it was about giving back and just really trying to get every little ounce of life that you can out of it. So the perspective that we have always had as a family 
about my father's success has been really different than I think how most business people or entrepreneurs would look at it, which is such a blessing. It's such a healthier way to see it. You know, help me build more so I can give more feels a lot better than help me hoard more. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of feel like we're finally coming back to kind of that sensibility. You mm -hmm. know, I think we lived through a period where it was about bigger, faster, how much money I can make. And it was all about sort of profits and investors. And it wasn't about sort of the community or the, the even the people in the business. And I feel like we're kind mm -hmm. of coming back to that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think your father is clearly visionary in, in many ways. But, you know, the company is still very much a family business with Angus Mitchell leading the creative side of the business and you're on the, the business side. And in doing the research for this podcast, I read that you have letters from your three-year-old self <laughs> saying that you wanted to hurry up and yeah. finish preschool. Oh, I couldn't so, get out fast enough. I right, so that you... So you could graduate and start your job as CEO yes. of the company. So yes. what does it feel like to finally be CEO? It's so surreal. It still hasn't sunk in yet, honestly. It's like you work so hard for something for so long, and it's such a big something that there's always, I think, a piece of it that feels like it's pie in the sky. So to actually be here, I'm like, it's just a trip. I still can't believe it. I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm just so optimistic about the future. I'm thrilled. And I love the people that I work with so much. It's all for the people. You know, one of the things with this job was I was never asked to take on this job one day. This all came from me. I never had that pressure. There wasn't the expectation. I didn't need to take on this job. I chose to commit my life to this job because I care so much about our people and about this incredible JPMS family that John Paul built from essentially the back of his car. So knowing that and just loving it so much and having so much gratitude for an industry that helped us create the life we've been able to create and to give back in the ways that we've been able to give back is something I'm endlessly committed to. That gratitude is something I'll always have. So it feels incredibly exciting, but above all, I'm just still really humbled by it. Truly. I'm proud of where we are, but I am honored. Well, for. and you certainly didn't inherit the position. I mean, you, you worked across departments of the business. You know, mm -hmm. why was that important to you? And, and what was your first job in the business? So again, no one asked me to do that. I just kind of showed up and started doing it. So my first job job in the business was, oh my God, I, I've come my whole life. So I would go and help I'm air quoting for those who can't see, <laughs> I would help everybody in the office, which was really just like putting crayons in their fax machine and like writing on pieces of paper. So I always was trying to just be everywhere. I would answer phones a lot. I would go and like help the front desk if I'd come into my dad for work. And my first job job, I just started showing up right after college and asking a million questions. And they were finally like, oh, you know, you should have a title that's fitting to what you're doing, which is learning and shaping for the future. And I said, well, you know, before I get into any titles or offices, it's I still want to keep asking and learning. It was incredibly important to me that I spend time understanding every department. And I still do. Everyone that works for me will tell you. I constantly am asking questions and touching base with different departments. But can you help me understand this? What does this acronym mean? It still happens. At least once a week, I'll see something in a meeting where I'm like, 
oh, why do we call it that? What is that acronym? I am fully honest about the fact that I don't have all the answers because it would be foolish for someone to act like they did. And I just, I always felt that I couldn't be the most effective leader someday unless I had all the information. I can't possibly make the best choice unless I know how it impacts all the other departments and all the stops to get to the end user. So I did. And now, you know, an example I use is if someone asked me about a cap color, blue or white, it's not as simple for me. Anyone else could just pick the color they like. I now know because I took the time and invested that time and had the humility to ask a lot of questions. I know that if I do that, what it's going to do to impact international regulations, therefore screening, therefore skews in the warehouse. There are so many more pieces to every decision that's made in an organization. And I think the best thing any leader can do, and I think that everyone is a leader in one capacity or another in any job they have, is to understand the implications it has on everyone else. Understand your coworkers' positions and your customers' positions, because if you don't have that knowledge, you can't possibly be serving them to the best of your ability and making the best choice for the longest amount of time for the greatest amount of people. I think the cap choice is such sort of a brilliant story because creative choices sometimes get made from an emotional place rather yeah. than sort of an intellectual place, mm -hmm. which is always fascinating because there are business impacts to creative decisions, but very often people don't really sync them. Yeah. You know, I've had clients where it's like, yeah, don't show her anything yellow. She hates yellow. And I'm like, oh, that's preposterous, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if we have a customer, I'm like, customer ABC might love yellow and that's what sells the best. It's not about what I would choose to tattoo on my body. It's about the best choice <laughs> for that customer or that brand. It's not about us, any yeah. of us. It's about our brand for sure. You know, did you feel sort of extra pressure to prove yourself because you're coming in as one of the founder's daughters? Oh, absolutely. I think in having this lovely coffee chat conversation <laughs> with my friend Kelly, I have to be fully transparent. I think that coming in as the owner's daughter was an extra pressure. I think coming in with a successful family background was extra pressure. Being a woman was extra pressure. Being a young mom all at the same time was certainly extra pressure. So for me, that was just one of so many things where they're all lovely problems to have. I love my family. I'm proud of my family background. My father's created this tremendous thing. But people assume that it would be easier because of those things. It's quite a bit harder on the pressure standpoint because I now not only have to prove that I'm capable at my job, I have to prove that I am more than capable than any other human being living on planet earth who could possibly take this job because they are so people get a little excited when they, you know, watch things fall. And so early on in my career, it was, a, it was a lot of resilience, not only in the industry's always been lovely in the business world. It was tough amongst coworkers. Sometimes it was really tough. I think that most people root for you to win, but there can't help but be a little bit of satisfaction when someone who you think got there in an easy way has some issues. So I went in avoiding all that from the beginning. And I said, I am 
here to serve you. Let's be very clear on that. There's no self-serving purpose here. This is my dream. My dream is to one day take care of you guys the way that my father has and in my own way so that we have a thousand more years together. And I came in humble and I've stayed humble. Truly, like I, I have conversations and I have broken those barriers down for countless years. And I continue to do it because people have actually learned to trust the fact that they are getting what I'm giving them. And that is really all that there is to get. There's no hidden agenda. I'm not phoning it in. If I don't know something, I don't pretend like I do. I never expect myself to have the best idea, but I expect myself to make the best decision regardless of whose idea it is. So not having an ego, I think was probably the most helpful thing that I could have come in with. And it has served me well, because it's a lot to disprove those theories. Oh, I mean, of course. I mean, the first thing, you know, that's going to, if people don't know the backstory, it's like, yeah, she's there because, you know. Yeah. The she's an easy person to hand it off to. <laughs> right. Exactly. But how would you describe your leadership style? So like in a, in a day-to-day, you know, how do you kind of operationalize this humility and constantly asking questions and being so hands-on in yeah. a, such a large organization? Yeah. My leadership style is first and foremost collaborative. I collaborate with every quote level of leadership, like within our team, we exchange ideas, we talk, we collaborate. There aren't really barriers between me and anyone else. So we have open conversations in that way. Innovative. I'm always looking to see, okay, 20 years from now, what do we want to be doing? Let's plan for that. So I'm extremely forward thinking and I'm very big picture thinking innovation is important. And I do have a high standard when it comes to attention to detail. And again, just thinking about 20 years ahead, 10 years ahead, five years ahead. So if I look at something and they say, okay, we're going to redo a package on this bottle, which screen do you like better? I have to look at it and say, okay, I like this screen better. But if we know that this other segment is going to get rebranded in three years, and it may have a similar color, to what that is, I want to save that color for that launch and not paint ourselves in a corner now. So in, to sum up in words, I would say collaborative, forward thinking, innovative, and big picture focused. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because I feel like maybe it's the past 10 years, maybe it's less than that. Because the industry moves so fast People have started employing this like very short term thinking, like I'm going to fix it for Mm -hmm. now, what's going to get me there the fastest, make me the most competitive now, make the most money now, rather than thinking, you know, long term, I think, you know, I haven't until very recently heard people have the desire to build brands that have legacy. It's been this like, I want to build it. And before there's even goop in a jar, there's an exit plan, which perpetuates short term thinking because there's a a short term goal, which is to exit. Totally. I agree. I think the short term thinking is so dangerous. And we have gotten so far away from that. We become such a reactive society. We've become such a reactive business in general. Everything seems to be very reactive and impulsive and short-minded, and that is not setting us up for long-term success. So I've always had a slightly different approach 
and being a, which I found out from my kids the other day, I'm like a geriatric millennial, whatever <laughs> that is. I was like, oh my God. But apparently like the millennials, they say are the ones that are supposed to be the most, you know, short-sighted. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe I did things different, but I, I do see a good population of people to your point, Kelly, starting to trend back where they do value long-term. And I think in the devastation of COVID, of course, there are always gifts to take from everything. And I think one of the gifts that I hope came from COVID was just this realization of, I'm going to switch jobs every 18 months and get, you know, this much more, that much more, be in an office that's this much cooler. People have really stopped to think, wow, anything can change any second. Maybe I should start thinking about having grounding, structure, stability, long-term planning. I think it was a little bit of a party out there. It was a little bit of a wild west. And now like the music is softening and people are like, maybe it's time to go home and get some rest. Maybe yeah. we need to start actually planning and putting emphasis into legacy brands and actually starting to build something that can be an impactful and positive thing on the planet, not just the next cool thing. Yeah. And especially in sort of the professional side of the business, there's been so much consolidation and also brands that sort of started in the professional channel, you know, moving outside the professional channel to achieve growth. But sort of the positioning and DNA of the brand, I would imagine, makes sort of that long term thinking that much easier because mm -hmm. From what I understand, the business is never going to be sold. It's never leaving the professional never. channel. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of all of that noise goes away and you can kind of focus on what the mandate is of the business. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear in your words, you know, what the DNA of this amazing business is and how it's differentiated the brand sort of in a super competitive category. Mm -hmm. But you guys are the leaders. You're wildly successful. And privately held, which is also sort of a rarity. Yeah, I think that our DNA is all about love. Like we love everybody. We have been from day one of our business. We have been all inclusive. We've been cruelty free. We've cared about the environment. We did things that we actually were criticized for back in the beginning because it was quote, bad business. It was inefficient testing practices to not use animal. But we've always been principle based because we're just humans first. And I hate to oversimplify it, but I think the DNA of just being a human being that cares about the planet and cares about people and just everything starts with love has really helped us through. I mean, we haven't wavered from that. You can see it in everything we do. And still to this day for a corporation of our size, we really function very much like a small business. I mean, like we joke a lot about how even when I interview candidates to work directly mm -hmm. with me, I said, you know, a lot of people have in mind when they see my title on paper, this like glamorous devil wears Prada moment where it's like everyone's in their heels and they have these like security clearances and they go up to the big buildings and there's like a barista. I'm like, that's just not us. It's not like we, we are actually walking the walk. We're creating big business. But our DNA is very much how it was when it started. The only difference is, I think, because we're a family-owned business, because it's a privately held company, there's a decision maker. It takes two seconds for us to pivot. It takes a one word from me to make a decision that can change everything. We don't wait to go through red tape and processes. We don't have a board we have to answer to. 
I mean, our board is made up of a handful of people. Three of them are John Paul Angus and myself. So it's not like we're being dictated by a big corporate group. We can pivot on a dime and we can adapt and we can play and we can try new things. And a big thing for me, I always say to the team, let's try it. We haven't done it yet. Let's try it. I mean, unless it has to do with going against our principles, no real long-term pain is going to come from trying anything new. So we're always just looking to play and we have the freedom and ability to do that because we haven't allowed ourselves to get very corporate. Thinkers, innovators, experts, generating ideas for the business of beauty. Beauty Matter has built its reputation as a must-read resource for beauty industry insiders, delivering future-focused insights and actionable solutions. With the speed of innovation and increased competition in the category, access to the right analysis and intelligence is more critical than ever. Make an investment in yourself and unlock a competitive edge with a subscription to Beauty Matter. Head over to beautymatter.com to check out our content. And as a listener to our podcast, use the code UNLOCK25 for a 25% discount. You know, it's interesting. I did a, a, a webinar. Uh, it was a couple months ago with a completely different business, but the similarities strike me in sort of the, the commitment and clarity and purpose, and that's Dr. Bronner's. You oh, know, yeah. same thing. You know, it's like they know what they stand for. They're committed uh-huh. to it, privately held, never going to – I think there's a, a kind of a freedom in operating that way. And I think also – businesses, which, you know, it's definitely in the minority that have those convictions and that culture and the DNA, found it easier to navigate the past year. And COVID and Black Lives Matter and sort of the the political divide, because you didn't have to have this big comms meeting of how Mm -hmm. you were going to engage. You just knew because it's, it's second nature. Yeah, absolutely. And there is something to be said for, you know, last year was our 40 year anniversary, 40 years later, when you have had this tremendous reputation that John Paul has built, that Paul in his early days built with the business that the brand has, you have relationships and you have the trust and the support in the ear of people. And because we have such an incredibly beautiful, diverse network of people in our personal and corporate lives. It was incredible to be able to have these kinds of productive conversations with people where they know you, they know where your heart's at. If you see an opportunity to be better, we're the first people to say, oh, you know what? There is an opportunity to be better. Thank you so much for telling us. Full transparency, like nothing really happens behind closed doors in the world or in our organization for us. So yes, it it serves you well to be driven from purpose from day one because you're just so much more grounded when the winds come, you're not trying to find your North Star. I'm like, oh, I know where our North Star is. If you can help me get there, you can help me see it a different way, that's fantastic. But I'm not scrambling like so many of these startups were to be like, oh, what's our position? Are we political or are we not? Are we this or are we not? It's like pick something and hope. It's not only you, I would imagine your entire organization isn't scrambling. Because everyone no, just, I mean. yeah, like, just, it's ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you as a company are, can just know who you are from the beginning, it's a whole lot easier to 
find your ground. Yeah. When the COVID pandemic hit the professional hair care industry or the professional industry period really hard, mm-hmm. I was so inspired by how brands in the professional channel wasted no time stepping in where the government was falling short yeah. and really came to the table in a profound way to make sure people were okay. Mm -hmm. I literally just got goosebumps thinking about it because it happened immediately. And these were not small gestures. They were big. Can you share a little bit about how the pro channel moved so fast? I don't know. I mean, maybe you knew how this was going to play out. And also some of the initiatives that that you guys made sort of over the past year to, to help your partners make it through. Yeah, I think. And it is so beautiful. You do get goosebumps thinking about it. This industry has always been such an incredible and such a supportive industry. So I'm not surprised at all by how much we responded to taking care of one another. Speaking for us as a company, when it all first came down, no one knew what the end was going to be. No one knew when the end was going to be, what, how it was going to pan out. The first thing we thought of, which was the opposite of what almost every other company I've spoken to. And I'm like, hey, where are you guys at? What are you thinking about? You know, far after the fact. Their headspace was in a very different place than ours. We did not for a second start thinking about how do we save ourselves or how do we start cutting the budget and saving money? We went straight to how do we save our customers? What can we do to help the industry get saved? And honestly, when we had this conversation, I said, you know, John Paul and I had this conversation. We had it with Angus. I said, look, if this is the era where JPMS goes down because our ship sank, giving our family life vests, that is a hell of a legacy for me to leave behind. And I would be very satisfied with that. It mattered so much more to us. It wasn't even, that was just a two second. That wasn't even a conversation. We were so aligned on that. So we just, from day one, we went straight into it. We did, when the stimulus program came out, it was all about our people. It was all about the industry. It was all about the customers. So first thing we did was we had reallocated funds that we were going to put toward our big semi-annual gathering. And we said, okay, let's take this, let's take extra funds, let's put together a stimulus package and let's send it to our customers. So we sent free product. We sent sanitation supplies, we sent color, back bar, anything they would need to reopen their salon and to take the weight off of, you now don't have to worry about buying more inventory to open. Here is a kit worth of thousands of dollars worth of revenue for you that you can start to open the doors with. It was overall, it was tens of millions of dollars worth of goods that we had sent out. We also in there included uh, coupon codes for 50% off their first order once they come back into the salon. So we really tried to make the landing as soft as possible from the get-go and say, look, you have this for when you reopen, take that off your plate. And for a next step, when you need to replenish, it's going to cost you half as much as it did before. We're going to make it. And the support that we gave too was also very emotional. Before they even got the directive from us at leadership, our sales reps were already calling their customers. They were already texting them. How's your dad? Are your kids okay? Do you need anything? Is the salon fine? Can I bring you food? I remember that you said your mom lives out of state. Like, you know, do you need anybody helping there to help with her? That's what gives me goosebumps. Like, I mean, our team 
the amount of pride and the amount of tears that I shed during that time, seeing how much our team just loves our people and our industry so much. It was, I mean, I get choked up talking about it now. It was so organic. It was not a business trying to save themselves. This was a business saying, okay, now it's time for us to step up and return the favor in your darkest hour. And again, if this is how the company ends and every resource goes toward that, I would be just as proud of what we did as the other alternative, which was, wow, we actually, we made it through. We're stronger than ever. Like people really appreciated something as simple as a phone call a lot more than they did a printed statement from a corporation. I found that at least sort of initially, the pro channel really sort of came together faster than other segments. And I think maybe because it is, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people who own salons are creatives. Creatives Mm -hmm. first, business people second. And they don't have a lot of working capital. A lot of cup businesses don't have enough working capital to get through what we went through. But these are small businesses. They're mom and pop businesses. Mm -hmm. My niece is a a hairdresser in New York City, and I sort of saw what her owners were going through. Mm -hmm. It was amazing to me that brands like yours and other leaders in the industry, it was about if we don't take care of our distributors, of the individual stylists, of the salons, we don't have a business. You know, so it it was this long term thinking of, you know, and I also think the pro channel is much more community based than than perhaps other. Yes, I was just going to say, I think there is such a unique camaraderie that comes in this industry. That's why I say this industry is really special. I wasn't surprised to see that of all the industries out there, this one was a standout for how quickly we responded and how quickly us as an industry just came together. We really care about each other. Hairdressers are the best. They really are. You really, like, it's so infectious. They certainly have fun. Like, the hair shows are not like any other show. No. (laughs) I'm like, God, should I have, like, a short hot pink bob? Like, I leave these shows, and I'm like, I'm so inspired. And I'm like, no, I'll just put my brown hair back in an elastic. I know. But it is very inspiring this week. I know. I always (laughs) felt like, God, I feel so old and stodgy. I know. People think in my position that I always have great advice for what products they can use. People ask me all the time, like, what products should I use for this kind of hair? I'm like, I'm not a hairstylist and God bless the people that are because I can't even blow dry my own hair. I have a tremendous <laughs> amount of respect for those people. You and me both. I find oh. it, uh, but I, I could, cannot blow dry my own hair to save my life. Me either. I actually <laughs> went to a stylist once when I was a teenager because I got the brush stuck in my hair. I couldn't get it out. <laughs> Yep. I always get my hair stuck in the motor of the mm-hmm. hair dryer somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not. I just, I'm like, you know what? We have great products that we can use for heat styling <laughs> or air dry. So I'm going to lean toward air dry and just bless a stylist when they decide to heat style me as a treat. I I have, I think during the past year, I have, first of all, I didn't realize how many people were involved in keeping me looking like I work in the beauty industry, like it's a it's a small army, <laughs> um, and how un, like incapable I am of grooming myself. <laughs> uh, totally, I felt like I had such imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh my god, are you sure you want this to be the face? I'm like, thank God for glam squads because I just realized, by the way, you can get these lights on your laptop like a month ago. Like I didn't have yeah. any of that for 14 straight months. <laughs> 
I was like, God, I'm so behind. I know. It's crazy. Well, you know, I mean, because of the, the vaccination, you know, it feels like very quickly we're getting back to uh, some semblance of, yeah. of what normal is going to be. Yeah. What is your, you know, since you are so tapped into the pro channel, you know, sort of what is the current state? of the businesses and the channel. And what do you think the future is going to look like? I think we're going to see a little less saturation in the market. I think the era of just these quick pop-up brands, it was really out of control. We had so much market saturation for so long. And I think through COVID, through just this kind of reassessment of what kinds of brands and corporations the consumer wants to support, I think we're going to see fewer and more impactful I think we're certainly seeing a call to action amongst this industry and quite frankly, every other when it comes to sustainability and social responsibilities and people want to feel good about the companies that they're supporting. So that's a that's not a nice to do anymore. That's a got to do. We've been doing it for forever and no one like cared. And now everyone's <laughs> like, oh, we're going to do it too. And they're like, yay. I'm, I get so frustrated. I'm like, I want to show you what we were doing from before. Yeah. But it's nice that they're finally, you know, joining and sharing in those ethos. So I think we're going to see fewer brands, but more impact. And I think that things like care and repair and wellness goes without saying. I think that is going to see a huge uptick because if there's one thing that this last year taught us, it's it's less about the aesthetic and it really is more about need and repair and wellness and self-love and nourishment for your skin, your hair, your body, all of those things that make up this incredible thing that we live in every day. I mean, do you know, I guess I'm not looking for exact numbers, but have the majority of salons kind of made it through? I don't know what the specific number would be. We have really varying reports. Also because the states all opened and reopened but I know, at different, all different. Time. Yeah, it's like whack-a-mole. Like I know that when most states reopened, I think the overall was about half made it and half didn't. Mm-hmm. Having said that, some states just reopened. Some yeah. have been open for a long time and maybe they've opened since then. So I really can't give yeah. a number, but generally speaking, we were hearing it was about half mm-hmm. and half across the board. And are people sort of feeling optimistic? People are feeling optimistic. And I'm actually, I'm seeing a lot of innovation come from yeah. work dynamic also. And that's another reason why I'm so hesitant to say which salons made it and didn't because so many store. I think things closed. changed. Yeah. Yeah. But like the stylist didn't close their business. They didn't stop right. being hairstylists. I don't think anything really could stop a hairstylist from being a hairstylist. Like once you're in that club, you're pretty ride or die. But a lot of people now are moving toward being an independent stylist, are moving toward apps and house calls and more concierge service-based, you know, services than the traditional brick and mortar we were seeing before. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's changing. And I think think that that change is going to help us grow. It's too soon. I mean, to your point. So sustainability is definitely top of mind. I mean, it has to be. Consumers Mm -hmm. are demanding it. But beyond that, it's just kind of the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's infinitely easier to launch a sustainable brand from zero Mm -hmm. than to take a heritage brand Mm -hmm. and kind of retrofit sustainability. Yes. So can you share a little bit about how you're tackling sustainability? Of course. So we had um, last year, I launched our big corporate sustainability pledge. 
The four main pillars are uh, commitment to ethical sourcing, reduction of virgin plastic, reduce waste to landfill, and reduce our carbon footprint. Within that, you can see on our website, we actually posted a tracker for public accountability. We put that on ourselves so we can hold ourselves accountable too. And under that, there are so many things. Every little thing really adds up. I think what's important for people to understand is this big pledge that we've made is one of many things in the future because you can't just set it and forget it. The same way we we had it figured out at the time in 1980, it's very different in 2021. So this is just a constant evolution. You have to keep changing. I hope to God that this is one of many sustainability pledges that we hope to as new resources and information come out through the next tens and twenties and hundreds of years. It's really important to us. And I think a very detrimental thing that people need to understand from every aspect is it's a lot harder to implement some of these changes than the consumer world or even the customer world might think it is. You can't just overnight say, we're going to go to recycled plastic. There are months and years of testing and sourcing and reformulating of something's not compatible in a package. And then you learn about this kind of plastic. Okay, it saves you so much water, but it's a little worse for a carbon footprint. Okay, but this other one wastes more water, but it's better for carbon footprint. It deserves to have the time and education because these are huge changes. And if we make a change, we want it to have, again, the greatest impact for the greatest amount of people for the longest amount of time. So these things are wonderful to do. And I would just encourage everyone, collaborate with these companies, You know, collaborate with people like us. It's really easy to sit behind the keyboard. And luckily we've been pretty lucky here, but for any business, it's hard. It's easy to sit behind a keyboard and say, you didn't do this fast enough, or you're not doing this. It's like, you guys... You have no idea the thousand dominoes that that is going to affect. And at the end, it might not even be giving you the thing you think you want. It might be doing more harm than good. So it, it takes a minute. And luckily, we've had 41 years of minutes to continue to craft these things. No, you know, it is it is such a large topic. And mm-hmm. it's so complicated. It's like it a is. ball of string. You just keep yeah. pulling and pulling. And there is no, to your point, there is no one right or wrong. It depends on so many variables. It depends on the business itself. And and I really feel like there are a handful of businesses kind of having this realistic conversation about what it takes and the decision-making mm-hmm. required and the implications. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a, a complicated narrative to tell mm-hmm. people. And it's also, I'm not yeah. sure how many people actually care and want to understand it. Exactly. They Again, they just right now, right. short-term thinking, give it, give it to me right now. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this other narrative happening where, you know, there's sort of this fear mongering and kind of I'm right, you're wrong yeah. narrative, which makes me crazy I because know, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't yeah. help brands. It doesn't help the industry. It doesn't mm-hmm. help consumers. But I do think that to your point, there's going to be maybe less brands, more quality and yeah. brands that have longer term thinking that yeah. are that are thinking about sustainability in sort of a sustainable way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I agree. So what is in store for the future? You guys are such innovators. Thank you. And you're just getting started. I think you you stepped into this role in February, right? 
I did. Yes. Yeah. This just happened a couple, or no, was it March? February, February, March. February, March, like somewhere around there. Yeah. So for the future for us, always innovation, 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 lead with innovation. Absolutely. When it comes to product processes, programs, education, we're so excited about what we've been able to do to our digital activation as a result of COVID. It's actually opened a lot of opportunity for us to just share that information. Knowledge is power. Technology, of course, in the AI space. We launched Hair AI last year, which is amazing. Reads the scalp and hair and can give you a full rundown of what it looks like, give you product recommendations right there. And what's so great is that that particular technology for us was exciting because it's a tool that we're giving our customers so they can best serve their customers. Especially if you're starting out as a stylist or if you're caring for a brand like ours, where we have our portfolio is huge. We have so many brands and so many products. We have something for everybody. And it's exciting to give them that confidence where they can make a product recommend that is specifically and truly, even through the verification of AI, the best product for their hair in that moment. And it also helps because a lot of these stylists don't have to carry as much Mm -hmm. product. They can order from there and still make the commission. And we've set it up in that way. When we first transitioned to Amazon, little known fact, the only reason we did was because we wanted to find a way where we could take the diverted sales and put them in the pockets of the people who deserved them, which was in the industry. So credit to Amazon, they worked with us and it was the first time they'd done that where we can actually commission our customers because that was the only way we would do it. So it's exciting to see technology being used to help our team as opposed to seeing technology as something that's competing with our team. Mm -hmm. Like, oh no, we don't use technology to replace people. We use technology to connect the people and to help your business thrive so you can connect even more. That's one of the things that I have been so excited about sort of the past year. You know, a lot of the technology kind of leading into COVID, if you will, was just about that, like replacing the human touch. How can we be Mm -hmm. more efficient? How can we kind of bypass that? And the technology coming out is how can we use technology to bridge the gap between the physical and the digital using Mm -hmm. sort of a human being to be that connection, which I think is amazing. Because you can't replace sort of that human interaction and beauty with, you know, an app. You cannot. And you can, I mean, sure, you can put a pigment on your hair at home, but you are never going to get the same experience you would if you go see your stylist and get a color. You aren't. And that relationship piece, I have so many treasured memories sitting in that chair and having conversations with stylists. It's such a sacred place. It really is. Like, it sounds silly because it's like, oh, you're just getting your hair done. You're not just getting your hair done. You're trusting someone with this shell that you wear throughout your day and you're saying to them in your own vulnerability, this is how I want to express myself. Can you please help me get there? Like when you really step back and think about the relationship and the process between a stylist and the customer, it's so beautiful. It's just so much more layered and so much more vulnerable and trusting than people realize it is. It's not about the service. There's so much more to it than that. And our goal at JPMS is always to remind people of that. That's why we want to drive them to go see a stylist you can't replace it. And my biggest fear as a business owner, as a parent, as a wife, as a mom, as just a citizen is technology starting to replace people and replace relationships. Even through COVID, I kept telling the team, I was like, you guys, look, this is working for us for now, but like, let's not start to lean on this as, oh, it's so much easier to just see each other through a screen than it is to drive to work. 
it's a really slippery slope. You don't have to leave your house for anything anymore. I'm like, no, come back, see your stylist, go to work, see each other, have lunch with friends. Like, don't lose that. At Beauty Matter, we have a very small team and we've always kind of had a hybrid approach. But yesterday was the first time the majority of the team was together and we just did it in my apartment. <laughs> because oh, we don't... Didn't it feel so good? <laughs> it was amazing. Well, I don't know how productive we were, but it was amazing to see each other. It's the best. And it's, I call it like the COVID awkward greeting. We're yes. Like, oh, can, do you, oh, I want to hug you. Are you comfortable holding? Are you handshaking? And yeah, then everyone I mean, feels compelled to like give their vaccine status. They're like, oh, yeah. hey, Jim, I, uh, I'm vaccinated. Can I know. I... Are you Moderna <laughs> or Pfizer? <laughs> yeah. Which one did you, how were your yeah. side effects? Yeah. The way us Angelinos talk about traffic and our commute and like, which route do you take? This is like the new conversation here. Which, which side effect did you have? Which shot did you get? Yeah. You know, I live in New York and we, my husband and I were with my mom outside the city for most of the the year, which I've never been away from, from New York for that long. Yeah. And coming back, it's like this weird reentry. Yes. But I've everyone's kind of going through the same thing. It's, it's like this social awkwardness I've never <laughs> seen before. It's like everyone's first day back at school. You're like, yeah. hey guys, where have you been all summer, all 14 months summer? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Well, Michaeline, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure meeting you. This was so much fun. I was really excited. You're running one of the most iconic beauty brands. So it's, you know, an honor to kind of have this conversation and hear it from you firsthand and, you know, share it with our audience. Thank you so much, Kelly. That's so sweet. And I'm so happy to be here. I was really honored that you even wanted to talk to me. I was like, oh, okay. Great. (laughs) No, you know, when your team reached out, it was more about kind of an editorial. And, you know, I'm not a journalist. I came from the brand side. And I was like, no, I want to have a conversation with her. I I don't want to write about it. I'm so (laughs) So, glad you did. This is so great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For Michaeline, it's a matter of people. She may have been born into the beauty industry, but she made the decision to dedicate her life to the professional salon hair care industry and to the brand her father built with the motto, success unshared is failure. As the largest privately held U.S. professional hair care brand, the business was hit hard during the pandemic, yet their survival plan was focused on the survival of independent salon owners and hairstylists, that were the lifeblood of their business. Michaeline is excited about reimagining the future and pushing the business to new bounds while maintaining the ethos that the company was founded on. Their commitment to the professional industry is unwavering. It's their North Star. She has spent her entire life preparing for this moment, and as CEO, she has some pretty big shoes to fill. But there is no doubt she is more than capable of shepherding this family business into the future. So in the end, it's a matter of people, and that's what matters. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Michaeline, and to me, what matters is people. At the core of everything we do as a company, as humanity, it all comes down to people. Lead with people and principle first, and success will inevitably follow. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at beautymatterofficial.
This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.